what does becoming a record breaker require? How do we go further than anyone has gone before and leave a legacy of mastery? How do we push the limits of what's possible and elevate craft to the level of art? Bulgari's new podcast, Be Maestro, is answering these questions with a series of exclusive interviews. Together, we'll uncover the unique paths that extraordinary individuals forged when achieving the seemingly impossible. Each guest is a master in their field who has made a mark on time. Be Maestro, a Bulgari podcast inspired by the record-breaking spirit of the Octo Finissimo Watch Collection. Time stands still. You're listening to the Be Maestro podcast. Jade Haymeister is a woman of her time. At age 16, she became the youngest person in history to pull off the so-called polar hat trick. She skied to both the North Pole and South Pole. Then she crossed Greenland, unsupported and unassisted. This Australian student was young, very young. She still is, but she definitely knows the route, her route. Hi, my name is Jade Hammeister and I'm a student from Melbourne, Australia. In January 2018, I became the youngest person to ski the Polar Hattrick, which consists of the North Pole, Greenland and South Pole. You always wanted to become an explorer, right? I was born into quite an adventurous family. I sort of grew up doing adventures with my family from a young age. My dad climbed the Seven Summits when I was younger, so it was sort of... We grew up around it and in it, and I think that's sort of where my aspirations came from. I did meet a very inspiring lady on a trip we did to Everest Base Camp when I was 12, and her name was Villa. She was from Iceland, and she'd skied to the South Pole on her own, solo, and I spent a bit of time with her hearing about her stories and her experiences, and I think that is what specifically inspired me to start thinking about my own polar journey. Were you a very sporty kid? I mean, probably. Um, I remember I started doing triathlons when I was six, so I was quite sporty from a young age, and then the adventures began. But yeah, I've always loved challenging myself and pushing myself, so I think that sort of makes sense. In 2016, you became the youngest person in history to ski to the North Pole from anywhere outside the last degree. How was your journey? It was the first expedition in the set of the three, so it was very new. I was 14 at the time. It was a 150-kilometre journey to the North Pole, 11 days. But yeah, as I said, everything was new. I had to learn how to ski, learn how to set up tents, learn how to cook food in the stove, and I guess carry all of my gear and equipment in my sled for those long distances. I guess that the terrain in the North Pole is very different to Greenland and South Pole because it's not land-based, it's floating sea ice. So we came across compression zones, which is where the sea ice collides and creates ice rubble, which you have to somehow navigate and either find a way around or drag your sled over, up and over. And also where the sea ice splits, open water leads, which is where if we couldn't find a way around, we'd have to make a raft with our sleds and sort of drag each other across on this raft. And polar bears as well. They live in the Arctic and at the North Pole. So we do come across polar bear tracks. Thankfully, we didn't see one in the flesh. But yeah, we were prepared. It just wouldn't have been a nice encounter. Was it scary? I was scared, but I, I felt prepared as well. 
I was in a great team. I was with my dad, a very experienced guide. Um, we had a, a cameraman as well, um, National Geographic. And yeah, I felt pretty safe, but also safe in myself because I was so prepared. And I guess like at such a young age as well, at 14, you kind of don't think so much about the challenges and you don't overthink it. You kind of just do it. So I guess that helped as well in terms of the challenges. What was the reaction of your friends? At 14, like they didn't really understand what I was taking on. And I mean, I probably didn't at 14 either. But when I was around them at school or when we hung out, it wasn't like I was treated differently because of what I was doing. I was very normal. And I think because it was so normal in our family, it was just normal around my friends as well. But they were very supportive. And when I got back, very supportive as well. In 2017, you made history again by completing the 550-kilometer traverse of the Greenland ice cap, unsupported and unassisted. You were the youngest woman ever to do so. How was it? Yeah, very different. It was longer in that it was 550 kilometres, but it was quite different. It wasn't as cold. We actually had very warm conditions, which was unusual. And I guess a testament to climate change. We, during the day, sometimes would be stripped down to just one layer of clothing and be sweating because it was like above zero in some cases. We even one day on the top of the ice cap, we got caught in a blizzard, but instead of snow, we got rain because it was so warm which was incredible and very eye-opening. And we had to set up camp and sort of stay in our till it stopped raining because we couldn't move in the rain. In 2018, you completed your polar quest and became the youngest person to ski from the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole, unsupported and unassisted. You did the polar hat trick. Simple question, why? Um, The original plan for these expeditions was actually to start at the South Pole. And I sort of set out to do that when I was 14. And we did a training camp in New Zealand and I'd prepared for a while. And then we realized that you had to actually be 16 to do that expedition to the South Pole, which is when we came up with North Pole and Greenland in the interim. We decided to ski a new route to the South Pole, unexplored route, which made it on a whole new level of difficulty and challenge. Um, but it, it was my favourite of the three because of that level of challenge and the unexplored bits. It was, it was awesome. Doing better with less. Actually, this is what we tried to understand here in this podcast. Does it ring a bell to you? Definitely. Going on these expeditions, especially doing them unsupported, unassisted, where you have to carry everything that you use for the entirety of the expedition in your sled behind you. You have to be very critical about what you bring to the last millimetre or the last packet of food for how long you think the expedition will be. And yeah, I was told as well, it might be contradicting, but I was told to bring four pairs of underpants for the final expedition for the 60 days. And I ended up bringing 20 because I thought that was gross. So (laughs) that wasn't very minimalistic of me, but um, in every other aspect of what was in my sled, it was very what we could do with less. Um, There wasn't much in in our sleds. Doing better with less is also a kind of philosophy. You explained that when it was too painful, you had to close your eyes and say to yourself, okay, 30 seconds more. Did your body have to adjust itself to go further or to go beyond? Um, I mean, I didn't think that at the start of these expeditions, I would be able to do something like this. Like at the start of the North Pole expedition, I had no idea where I would be at the end of the South Pole expedition. I kind of just had to take each day, day by day and step by step. And I'd learnt so much every single day on expedition. What did you enjoy most about all your expeditions? 
I think it was that unexplored aspect of the South Pole expedition. We became the first humans to set foot on the Kansas Glacier, which runs through the Transantarctic Mountains. And sometimes during the day I'd lead the group, so I'd be out front on land that no human had ever been to before. And that was, to me, the most incredible feeling. When you're single file and everyone else is behind you, it feels like there's no one else for miles and miles. So it's pretty special to have experienced that. When you were skiing alone in this white desert, what was on your mind? Most of the time it was me thinking of a hot shower or mum's home-cooked meals. (laughs) Um, And the rest of the time it was just trying to get through the pain and the suffering that I I was going through at that time. On the Greenland and South Pole expeditions, the camera assistant to the National Geographic cameraman was an ex-Special Forces guy named Heath, and we became quite close and quite good friends, and I spent a lot of time with him when I was struggling or in pain, sort of picking his brain and learning from him about how he deals with pain and suffering and, like, the things I learnt from him. For example, I'd be in pain and he'd say, shut your eyes and just push for another 30 seconds harder than you were before, and it's sort of incredible how much harder you think you don't think you can go when you really can. And I think him, as well as just building on sort of what I'd learnt from the other two expeditions was really what got me through. The experience you gained during your expedition looks huge. Do you use it now on a daily basis? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like a, going back to a classroom and then into university, like you don't sort of realise how comfortable we have it and how comfortable you are in everyday life. And That was sort of the thing that I struggled with the most. I didn't, coming back into real life, I didn't like feeling comfortable. So I would sort of, I would like take cold showers. I'd try and make things challenging for myself, which I've kind of grown out of a little bit now. But I did actually a bit of research after coming back from expedition and feeling sort of the feelings that I felt. And the internet compared it a bit to going to space and coming back from space and and getting comfortable to real life again because you do sort of feel like you're on another planet when you're in those remote environments. And, yeah, it was very challenging for me to sort of fit back into everyday life and hold, like, proper conversations with my friends as well. I think it was my friends and my support group and my family that sort of made it very easy for me. If I was alone, it would have been another story. During your expeditions, you were unsupported and unassisted. What does that mean? I was in a team with four other people, but unsupported, unassisted means that we carried all of our equipment and our food without food drops or air resupplies along the way for the whole expedition. And we were on skis, like, so we were pulling the sleds with our might, not with by air or by, like, bikes or vehicles or, yeah, we did it all ourselves. And what kind of training did you do to reach your goals? Uh, Lots of strength and conditioning training to sort of put on muscle to be able to carry those big loads. Going into the South Pole expedition, I was actually 10 kilograms heavier than I am now in, in muscle and in fat so that we could, like, last those long distances in those extreme environments. We had some interesting training. We would like pull tyres on the beaches as improvisation for the sleds um, because that's sort of as close as you can get in Australia. And we didn't have much training in the snow. We did a sort of a week-long training camp in New Zealand before the North Pole expedition where my dad and I actually learnt how to ski because we didn't know how to ski and the three expeditions were on skis. But yeah, that was all the training we had in the snow. The rest was at home. In this podcast, we also seek to understand what it takes to break records. 
How did you manage to go beyond your own limits? Yeah, it took a lot of learning, as mentioned, on all three expeditions. Particularly the last expedition, I think, was where I learnt the most to the South Pole. I don't remember a night where I didn't end up in the tent in tears. I was struggling all the time and every night. But from what I learnt and from the time that I spent with Heath, the ex-Special Forces soldier, I I think that was what got me through. And I guess the fact that I'd put so much work into being in that position and in the middle of Antarctica that I wasn't just going to give up even if I was struggling because that's what I was there for, to struggle. (laughs) And what's next? Well, hopefully to finish my degree in the next two or three years and maybe some travel with some friends in the meantime. But I am very passionate about business and about climate change. I think it's becoming more and more popular, but after seeing it firsthand on the three expeditions, particularly the North Pole, where the sea ice is melting rapidly. It it strikes sort of an emotional chord and I feel I have a responsibility as probably only the person of my generation to have had that sort of first-hand experience in those environments to play my part in protecting it for future generations. And I hope that I can do that in conjunction with my business degree. Does an explorer need to wear a watch? That's a good question. I didn't on the expeditions, But I do love watches. I have a very nice watch um, and I think they're very personal. They're very timeless and like something that I would never get rid of. Um, Yeah, I think think they're very special. What incredible feat do you secretly want to accomplish in the future? One thing that is very extreme and something that I decided that I'd love to do one day if I had the opportunity would be to go to space. I'd love to go to space and I know that the opportunities to go to space are very limited, but one day I'd love to get there. The exploration world is predominantly male. Being a young girl like you, how complicated is it to break into it? That definitely strikes a chord. I remember on the first expedition, at the start of the trip, we were being escorted by helicopter to our starting points, and I was sitting in the helicopter next to all these ex-Special Forces, big, strong men, no other females, and I was this 14-year-old girl in this pink snowsuit trying to do the same expedition as these ex-Special Forces men, and I really don't think that I thought about it that much as a 14-year-old. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, something that I want to do, so whatever. But looking back, it was quite intimidating, but I just stay true to myself, I guess. Would you define yourself as a feminist? I think I'm more of an equalist. I'm very much so for women's rights. I think it should be equal for men and women. Like, I've spent a lot of time sort of trying to inspire young women, but I would love to inspire young people more generally to sort of push boundaries. One last question for you. Do you like sandwiches? (laughs) Um, (laughs) In Australia, people know the story, but maybe not (laughs) elsewhere. I like sandwiches, but so do, I guess, the trolls that were on the on the YouTube video of my TEDx talk, which I, I didn't actually realise until I was, I was heading out for one of my expeditions and a friend pointed them out and said, I've seen these comments on YouTube video of the TEDx talk that I gave to sort of inspire young people to be more rather than less. And the comments were from middle-aged men saying, make me a sandwich and get back in the kitchen. 
And at that young age, I didn't really think too much of it. I kind of just laughed it off. But it was an ongoing joke on the South Pole expedition to make this sandwich once we got to the South Pole and posed in a photo with it and serve it back to the trolls who had commented those things. And I didn't think it would happen, but we got to the South Pole and I actually asked the male chef at the camp at the South Pole to make me a sandwich so that I could serve it back to the male trolls. So I guess the joke was back on them. You've been listening to Be Maestro, the Bulgari original podcast. Join us in our next episode to unveil the secrets of those who make their mark on time. Ciao a tutti.